Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, the Real Gerald Quinn. We're at the almost down. We're at the almost the end of January. On a recording this, of course, on a Tuesday, the 30th of January, 2024, as we come close to the end, frankly, of the football season. Really, the last you know championship Sunday is really like the last real Sunday of NFL football. Like the Super Bowl is, is an all day event, its own entity. You know, the game's not till six o'clock, so Sunday. Certainly, it was you know a sad day for for millions upon millions of football fans. Even though you still had the Super Bowl left, and got to wait two weeks. Um, and it was an excellent day, to be honest with you, uh, of football. Two very very highly competitive games, two different games, two devastating losses for the for the teams. Uh, for the, um, I don't want to say losers, but for the the losing parties, and the veteran teams came out on top. Um, that's going to be our theme. They wasn't ready. And I think that perfectly fits both teams that lost. Uh, we'll begin with the, the Baltimore-Kansas City game, um, which to me by far was the more compelling game because these were two teams that I thought, frankly, the winner of this game was, was going to uh, win the Super Bowl, and I still think that way. And I might, you know, I can give you my predictions for the Super Bowl early. I'll, I'll go into detail more you know, probably on next week's broadcast in terms of the Super Bowl matchup. But this was a classic game of young upstarting team who hadn't really been there. Uh, I think we, you know, don't get Baltimore's history confused with the fact that this was uh, this was Lamar Jackson's first championship game. And for a number of these players, they hadn't been in a conference championship game. Remember, Baltimore, um, they had some lean years, a couple of lean years uh, in the past decade. So they hadn't remember they hadn't been in a conference championship game uh, since 2012. Now, I know that's hard to believe, but that, you know that's well over a decade ago. Um, so they, this had been it had been a minute before they had been at this point. Uh, at this point. And it frankly showed um, they absolutely played right into Kansas City's hands in this in this particular in this game. Uh, Kansas City, I told you, Kansas. If you're you know, if you're Baltimore, you needed to run the ball down Kansas City's throat. Buffalo almost had two hundred yards of rushing uh, last week, and Buffalo is not even a great running team. Like they're not they're not near as good as good as running team as, as Baltimore. Baltimore was the best rushing team in the league this year. But for whatever reason, uh they run the ball only sixteen times and 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 you know and were held to eighty one yards. Now they didn't have the ball a long time. Uh Kansas City dominated time of possession uh thirty seven to twenty two. But even still, uh sixteen carries to thirty seven passes. The game, listen, the game was within I know Kansas City uh, was up 17-7, but this game was, for the most part, a one-score game uh, for the majority of the game. 17-10, 14-7. This was a bit, I mean, this uh, this game was close enough to where you have to stick with the run. I said this last week. The matchup between Kansas City's secondary and Baltimore's receivers is, a, frankly, a mismatch. Kansas City has one of the best secondaries in the league. 
McDuffie's an all pro. You saw what the, the Snead, Snead made the biggest play in the game with the forced fumble on uh, Zay Flowers. Reed, they have, I mean, they have talent up and down the board in that secondary. They have a great, great secondary, period. That was not the way to go. Even with getting Mark Andrews back, who hadn't played and getting he get him back, he hadn't played in 10 weeks. No, he was just, they were, you know, just, they were just happy to have him back on the field. So, the idea that the, the, the game plan, the way to go was running the football. And I think sometimes, uh, listen, I, I, I'm not going to get caught up in the narrative of, you know, they were trying to prove something with Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson now is a pure pocket passer. I, I don't buy that. You know, I don't think this was a matter of trying to show off Lamar Jackson. I just think that you can you can just outsmart yourself, outthink yourself, and just get away from you can panic. Like some of these sometimes sometimes these offensive coordinators do stuff that, you know, that frankly just doesn't make sense. And I'm gonna tell you right now, uh that game plan is getting criticized and rightfully so, because you get you have you know you have a power running game, uh, and you know look at you know and listen we knew Kansas City was going to build was going to contain Lamar Jackson, um, and then mind you they had uh, there was no Willie Gay in the game who is the quarterback of the uh, Kansas City defense who was supposed to be the spy on Lamar Jackson and it really limited Lamar Jackson's running by not running by not using the running backs because if they have to pay attention to your running backs then that opens that could open up things for Lamar Jackson so instead of just eight carries for 54 yards maybe that's eight carries for 90 yards or 11 carries for 100 possibly I told you Kansas City was probably going to it was going to they can't say did exactly what what I told you they were going to do they but they did it with a lot of help I said that I said they probably will take away the run and make Lamar Jackson the pocket passer which is what they want to do but they got a lot of help from Baltimore with that and you see with Kansas City and I said this that Lamar Jackson and, and and Baltimore would would have to be perfect. People, you know, people, you hear that and you say, well, "What were you talking about?" Baltimore was dominant this season. Kansas City, you know, was this is the worst version of a Kansas City team that we've seen in the Andy Reid, the uh, Patrick Mahomes era. Why why does Baltimore have to be perfect? And what does that even mean? Well, what it means is no turnovers, no dumb penalties. No horrible play calling. That's what it means. Can't shoot yourself in the foot, and this is where Kansas. This is where Kansas City is at right now. I'll, no matter of fact, I'll, I'll get to Kansas City in a second. But Baltimore in that game, in that game, Baltimore was tight as a drum. They showed they were wet behind the ears. They showed that. They hadn't been on that, been at competing at a championship level for uh, for a minute now, basically since the Ray Lewis days. That they hadn't been at that level. Two thousand nineteen, they got put out, you know, in the first the divisional game. 
They lost to Buffalo a couple of years ago in the wild card game. So they really consistently had not been at had to, have not been at this level for a while now on a year in year out basis. Not like 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 not like San Francisco has. Like San Francisco has been at a championship level for like basically the last five years with the four champion four uh, with the four conference championship appearances in five years and now two second Super Bowl champ Super Bowl appearance in in, in five years. That hasn't been the case with Baltimore, and it absolutely showed in this game. Kansas City came out right away, hit him in the mouth. Hit him right in the mouth. And, you know, Lamar Jackson didn't play He didn't play well. It's just that simple. He did not play well. The turnovers, the uh, – now, the strip sack, again – that's pocket that that is experience. That's pocket presence. He will get big like that. That won't happen in year in you know in future years because he 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 has taken a major step as a pocket passer this year. He took a big step as a pocket passer this year and took a step and he's headed in the right direction from that standpoint. But that's experience. Like a guy shouldn't be able to come around the corner like that and strip the ball like you held you held the ball too long. The interception was inexcusable. You have to at least get three points there to make it a 17-10 game. Put pressure on Kansas City. Make Kansas City make plays to put that game away. Now, they end up doing it anyway, but that interception was that you can't throw that ball in triple coverage. You can't. You can't. You just can't make the play. You cannot make that play in a championship game. Again, his first championship game, he's not, listen, he's not the first quarterback to get to to be at this level, to have to, to have to like seemingly wait his turn. John Elway, Peyton Manning both went through the same thing. They both went through the same thing. Elway, uh, Terry Bradshaw a long time ago called John Elway a loser. It might be on video somewhere. You can look it up on YouTube. It's somewhere is documented. But the, the, that was ver- that was his exact words. John Elway is a loser called him a loser, which was, you know, insane, even without, even at the time. It, I mean, this is after all this. This is after the Super Bowl losses. Like, Elway drug, <laughs> Elway drug, read Denver, Denver to the Super Bowl three times with teams that had no business making it to the Super Bowl. Look at some of those teams. Nice, nice teams, but three, like, back-to-back, yeah, like, there's – he was the furthest thing from being a loser. Like the guy was an all-time great. Even then, even when he wasn't winning Super Bowls, the guy was an all-time great to me. Though uh, anybody that watched Elway, Peyton Manning couldn't beat New England. Couldn't get you know couldn't get through the AFC. He had a, a ton of playoff misfortunes. We we documented his record in his first nine playoff games last last week. He was like three and six. Couldn't couldn't beat the Patriots at first. Uh, up until up until two thousand and uh, the two thousand six season, when they had that when they had that great second half comeback. So Lamar Jackson's not the first to not be able to you know to not be able to knock down the door. And good news for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, he's only twenty seven years old. <laughs> like I said earlier, he took a major step in the right direction. Lamar Jackson has to become an elite pocket passer in order for him to 
go to the next level. I'm not saying he has to become a statue and stand in the pocket and not use his legs judiciously, just like Patrick Mahomes does. But, excuse me, he has to, in order for him to get to that next level, he has to be able to manipulate defend, defensive players from the pocket. He has to be able to dissect defenses from the pocket. He has to be, a, you know, the pocket presence, stepping into, like, stepping, like, movement in the pocket. He has, all that has to happen for Lamar Jackson to get to the next level. Any great quarterback, any all-time great quarterback has those intangibles within in the pocket, all of them. All of them have that. So, like, I'm not trying to take away from, we're not trying to, like, curtail his athleticism. Not sitting up there and say, no, Lamar, don't run. Just stand there and get the shit, get the shit kicked out of you in the pocket and take hits. No. He's got to make play. Like, that, you know, that game plan was not about, I think people, I, I think that that game plan was not about uh, their offense or their, their, their improved, trying to prove that he, he can throw from the pocket. I, I don't think that was it. That was, it was about that at all. But with that being said, he has to develop into a top pocket, pocket passer in order for them to win a championship. Because defensively, I mean, Baltimore uh, held held Kansas City scoreless in the second half. Kansas City had 123 yards on five punts in the second half. They did nothing, nothing in the second half outside that last drive, which, of course, clinched the game uh, with them being able to run out the clock. I mean, the Ravens' defense was dominant in the second half. Just uh, like they controlled the whole – like they – uh, controlled the game in the second half with their, with their defense. Kansas City was struggling to like. I don't Kansas City. I don't think Kansas City crossed midfield uh, up until that last drive. So their defense wasn't the problem whatsoever. I mean, you hold the team scoreless in the second half. You, you've done your job. As far as Kansas City goes, uh, I didn't see this coming. Um, well, first of all, in terms of uh, Patrick Mahomes. He's gotten to a level to where he can dominate, he can control the game without dominating the game. It's a very rare level that athletes get to. You saw it with Jordan. You saw it with like a, a Dresky, a Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, my hockey fans. You see it, you know, you see it with Barry Bonds walking, you know, not like doesn't even have to hit a home run. If he's on base walking because you're scared to pitch to him, that, you know, puts pressure on your pitcher and gets other guys great pitches to hit. You see it, and you saw, of course, with, with you know, the, the all-time greats in basketball. You see with LeBron James of recent up note, Steph Curry. That's the level that he's reached now at this point. Look at his stats in this game. They were fine. He completed his first 11 passes, set the tone for the entire game. But you look at... um. Look at Mahomes' stats uh, for this game. You know, it wasn't about the yards. It wasn't about the yards. He didn't throw for a guardy for a bunch of yards. He had one touchdown pass. Okay, he had one touchdown pass. He controlled this game 
Yeah, 30 or 39, one touchdown pass, 241 yards. No turnovers. No turnovers. Okay. They were, despite the fact that they only scored 17 points, they uh were eight for they were eight for eighteen on third downs. Total third downs and fourth down conversions, they were nine for twenty. Just un, basically just under fifty percent and convert the big the ones that they needed to convert. So his ability to manage the football game. And I'm glad I'm using that word for a reason because it became a you know with Cam Newton's comments in the last couple of months in the last month about when he was describing Brock Purdy uh, and uh, Brock Purdy along with um, yeah to Tua to, uh, Taka Baluva and uh, Dak Prescott calling them game managers, it, it, it took on seemingly this negative uh, connotation. And you can't become, you don't become a top quarterback in the NFL without managing the game, like without managing the game at a high, at a high, high level. Because those mistakes that Lamar Jason Jackson made, trust me, if you're a coach of Baltimore, you wish that he would have managed the game better. Okay. His, his command of that game, especially in the second half, when one mistake could have been different between winning and losing, was in essence the difference in that game. Along with, of course, you know, Kansas defense was, was all over Lamar Jackson the entire game. But there were moments where one turnover and that game turns the other way. That, that game could have easily turned in Baltimore's direction. All it took is one, like one mistake from Holmes. He never made it. One misread, a fumble. A bad penalty, it never happened. It never, it just, it never happened. And that is the importance of managing the football game. And that is at the level, that is at the level that he's at. He controlled the entire game without throwing for 40 yards, without throwing for five touchdowns, without dominating from a, from a statistical standpoint. And it kind of reminded me, reminded me of, of LeBron's performance in game seven of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals back in 2018 when they played, you know, the, the baby Celtics, I, li I like to call them, with uh, Tatum was a rookie and Jalen Brown was in his second year. Marcus Smart was still young. They had a couple of veteran players. This is one where Kyrie, of course, didn't show up because he knew he knew what was going to happen in that particular game, in that game seven. And, you know, Boston, you know, fought, kept the game close. But LeBron James was at that point in his career where – you know, this is 2018, so what, he's 33. He was at that point, point in career where his athleticism was still at a relatively high level, but not overwhelming. He wasn't at that point the best athlete in the league, but his mind was that of a chess master where he just saw, you know, saw the game at a level, saw the game and understood the game at a level where nobody even approached it. It's for all, that was active playing basketball. And he controlled that game with the, with controlled the pace of the game with his physicality, his knowledge of the game, and in essence, Boston really never had a chance to win, even though the game was close. Boston never had a chance to, to really was not going to win that game because they didn't have a player of that ilk that could match him from that standpoint. And 
that's what you have in Mahomes. That you know, Lamar, no quarterback in the league is there yet, as far as Mahomes. Like Mahomes, Mahomes is so by far the best quarterback in the league, the best player in the league. It's not. It's really not close. Like it's not. It's not even close. If you're Joe Burrow, you think you you have Joe Burrow, you have Josh Allen, you think your quarterback is great. Mahomes is in a different stratosphere. He really is. He's in a different league. He's in he's in his own league. Period. Because he's mastered all aspects of the game. A couple of years ago, Kansas City was struggling on offense. And this is when uh, Tyreek Hill was still on the team. We'll, and we'll talk more about that, the Tyreek Hill trade um, later on in the podcast. But me and Robert Stapp were talking, were talking about whether or not teams were starting to catch up with Kansas City from a standpoint of game planning and forcing Kansas City to go down the field with 10 play drives and could Mahomes make that transition in terms of being more patient and could he do what you know Tom Brady had mastered over the course of his career with New England that's hey we will we will we'll do the 13 play 80 yard drive death by a thousand cuts cool we don't have to score on one play 70 we don't have to we don't have to have a three play 85 yard drive I mean, we want to score big. We want to go, you know, sure. We want to push the ball down the field. We got Tyreek Hill. We got Travis Kelsey. We have big play. play. I mean, we want to go down the field every play if we can't. But, you know, we want to go down the field. But um, so no, let me talk about in terms of New England. We, you know, we want to go down the field. And this is after they lost Moss. But it got to a point where Kansas, where New England had mastered that offense where they would just, hey, we'll take eight yards here, seven yards here. San Francisco used to do it all the time with Joe Montana and, and company. They they would it wouldn't be about you know you saw Jerry Rice make big plays yards after catch, but for the most part, they they dissected you, you know, to a point to where it was just like it was demoralizing mentally, and that's where Kansas City is at right now. Kansas City made that transition. That's what Patrick Mahomes doesn't he will go eighty five yards in twelve plays. They had long drives. In this game, um, they had uh, looking at their drives in this game, especially in the first half because they did next they did nothing in the second half. You know, their first drive ten plays eighty six yards, five forty five off the clock. Second play, drive sixteen plays seventy five yards, nine minutes off the clock, nine minutes. Okay. And basically, that was you know that was it for basically the game. That was that like that after that. Obviously, they did like I said next to you know next to nothing. So they don't care about having take, having long drives. They don't. They, they no longer see see this is and this they've completely shifted their way of thinking as far as how they're going about winning football games. Okay, they they don't like they like that that changed with the Tyreek Hill trade. That changed with that trade. They made that trade two years ago, and it'll be two years in March that they made that trade. And that's a trade that we're gonna be looking back on and saying that basically changed the course of their franchise. They got they end up getting McDuffie. 
uh, from the, from one of those draft picks. He's an all pro this year, one of the better cornerbacks in the league. Um, and they transitioned towards, you know, being Travis Kelsey dominated with their offense as far as, you know, being Travis Kelsey dominated. I mean, we know why they did it from a money standpoint. And again, they had to, they were thinking, again, they were playing chess. They were thinking long-term in terms of the players that they were going to have to pay. They're going to pay, they're going to pay eventually, they're going to pay Chris Jones. They had to pay, of course, Mahomes, paying Kelsey. They, they left the, the tackle, all pro tackle makes a ton of money. And again, people should look around the league. I'm telling you right now, listen, you can't emulate Andy Reid. You can't emulate Patrick Mahomes. But what you can emulate is the fact that putting all this money into a receiver, or putting all this money into a skill position player, you better skill position player outside of quarterback, you better be careful. And from an offensive standpoint, you better be careful about that if you want to if you want to have consistently great teams and be consistent making the playoffs year in and year out. Kansas City has mastered that. That money outside of Mahomes is spread around. They've developed young talent through the draft, offensively and defensively, especially with their especially with their defense. They have one of the youngest defenses in the league and a bunch of talent on there. And guys that they don't have to pay right now. They want to pay until for another two for at least maybe another two years. So they, you know, they are smart, and we'll get into the comparison between them and the Patriots and those two dynasties. But right now, Kansas City is just flat out smarter than everybody. They are; they're absolutely smarter than everybody. Um, again, that Tyreek Hill trade at the time, and Robert Sapp argued me. He argued with me down to to the T how dead set against it he was. I said, and I now I will play that audio at the end of the, at the end of the podcast. I'll play I, I'll play that audio from tw- from twenty twenty two about you know we got to a debate about when Tyreek Hill was traded. This is when they, it was a wild offseason twenty twenty two. Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, what have you? That was doing Deshaun Watson had got signed the full con fully guaranteed contract for Cleveland. Uh, we talked about the that Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill trade. In March of 2022, I'll play that for you for the, at the end of the podcast. But I said it in verbatim. I'm like, look, I trust this organization. I don't think this is an emotional move. I don't think that this is a personal move. This was a money move, of course. And I trust they were pivoting. They were shifting. They saw something that that we didn't. And they totally, again, look at the team that they are right now. They're not the flashy team. They're not Patrick Mahomes throwing for 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. They're a defensive team that can run the ball. They have Patrick Mahomes, have a great defense. And frankly, more importantly, they know how to win. They know how to win. Like that's all this. They know they in the biggest moments when plays have to be made, they're gonna make the big plays. Whereas Patrick Mahomes, whereas Chris Jones, whether it's Buckner, the field goal kicker making clutch kicks in during this particular during this run. They're going to make they they're going to make the big time play, and Baltimore, frankly, quite quite frank, quite frankly, is just not there yet. They're just not there yet, which is fine, which is fine, but it's not fine because here's the thing about Baltimore. Now, Patrick, you know, Lamar Jackson is still young, only twenty seven, right? The problem is this: Kansas City is not going anywhere anytime soon, and. This win, like, Baltimore had everything set up. 
you had a great defense. You had a great running game. Your quarterback's going to be winning his second MVP. You had the game at home. Home championship playoff losses are devastating. Home playoff losses are devastating. But you lose a home game in the championship game, that is, that, that's hard to come back from. It's hard to come back from. The AFC, if you thought the AFC was loaded this year, it's going to be better next year. You know why? Joe Burrow's coming back healthy next year. Deshaun Watson's coming back healthy next year. John Jim Harbaugh is now with the Chargers. That changes that franchise's dynamic immediately. They become a problem next year. They will challenge Kansas City for that division. Without question. We all know we the Chargers have always had talent. It was just a matter of getting the right coach that can that can set that culture straight. You still have Miami and Buffalo. Okay. I you know, I gotta see Aaron Rodgers. This I, I gotta see him stay on the field at this stage in his career. He's forty, what, 40, 40 years old. Gotta see can he stay healthy? But if he can, they should they will automatically be better just just because, like, with no Zach Wilson, with Zach Wilson not being on the field. You know, that's kind of like addition by subtraction. Then you have everybody in Indianapolis loves Anthony Richardson, their quarterback. C.J. Stroud isn't going anywhere. Houston has draft picks. Like, they, the AFC is going to be a gauntlet. I mean, it's going to be getting through the AFC next year. Thought it was hard this year. And again, Baltimore is already in the toughest division in football. That division is uh, that division is crazy. How tough that division is! Every team had a winning record that this year in that division. So sometimes, I mean, you can miss your shot sometimes and not get the and not get another shot again. Ask ask the Sacramento Kings from two thousand two. Everybody thought Sacramento. Oh, they they pushed the Lakers to seven games. They're the next great team. The Lakers are getting older. Okay, yeah, Lakers were getting older. Kobe and Shaq were about to break up, but Sacramento never even got close. They never even sniffed the conference finals again after that. Never after that. Matter of fact, then you know, up until last year, had one playoff appearance in like twenty plus years in in twenty what three years, and they had a playoff appearance in 06, but from like from their last play, 04 to 2024, they had like in 20 years, they had like one playoff appearance. So that is, that is a devastating loss for the Ravens. Now, again, the good news is you have a top flight organization. John Harbaugh is not going anywhere. Uh, Lamar Jackson can still get better. That's the good news. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of positives if you're Baltimore, but this was. This was a bitter pill to swallow because, again, you lost to Kansas City. Again, there's a psychological, 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 excuse me, component to this as well. Like, if we can't beat them now, when will we ever be able to beat them? Because again, this is not a vintage Kansas City uh, Chiefs team. It's not. It's not. This wasn't a vintage uh, Kansas. This was not not a great Kansas City team. They just know how to win. As far as the second game goes, um, Detroit. Uh, Blows a 24-7 lead, 24-7 lead. Now, I don't think Baltimore choked. I, Detroit was a choke job. Um, you're up 24-7. 
you are completely controlling the game with your running game. You're playing great. San Francisco, uh, like, is basically on life support heading into halftime. And then you roughly give up 17 points in the second half. The biggest play of the game was the fumble by the running back. Uh, that, that you know, at 24-17, next you know, before you blink, it was 24-24. And Detroit never let that lead stick or made that lead stick. You have to make – you at minimum, you have to be up by 10 points going to the fourth quarter. San Francisco never got an opportunity, unlike Baltimore, to get to be tight in the game to where they had any real game pressure. Being down 24-7 at the halftime is not game pressure. You're at home, and there's a whole half of football left. That's not – I mean, that's nobody wants to be down by that, down by that much, but that's not – that's we, you know, those comebacks are doable, especially at especially at home. They needed to come out in the third quarter and make that lead stick. Even if you only give up a touchdown and don't score, you go in the fourth quarter up 24-14 or 27-14, uh, you're in great shape. And maybe Purdy gets tight, forces a ball, and throws a pick. 24-24 going to the fourth quarter, it was game, you know, you know, it was that was it. Um, as far as Dan Campbell, I'll get there with Campbell and then Purdy. Listen, I I think Dan Campbell's a very good coach. He clearly has changed that franchise for the good in back to back seasons. They have a legit team right now. They have very they have some talented players. He again, there's a toughness to that team. That they that have been that has been missing for years upon years, mental toughness as well. But the bottom line is, you can't teach yourself as a coach. And in that game, you know, there's a book by Brian Holiday called "Ego Is the Enemy." Great book, by the way. Um, you know, sometimes you can be your own worst enemy. Sometimes the things that make you that can make that make you successful can also be a downfall. And I think that was the case in that game with Dan Campbell, like. 24-27, you're down. You are bleeding and leaking oil at 24-27. The momentum is completely shifted. You have to kick the field goal and stabilize that game. You have to kick the field goal in that situation. It's not even about your aggression or lack of aggression. It's about understanding time and situation. We ask, our play, we ask point guards in the NBA, we ask players in the NBA to understand time and situation, and your actions on the court should dictate that with how you go about, um, you know, approaching each possession, especially in basketball. Well, it's the same thing for a coaching in football. If I don't care about analytics. I don't care about the computers. You have, to have, you have to have a feel for the game, for what direction the game is going in, the momentum, all the, all the human element that all these computers and analytics have no clue about. You're down by three. Again, you are... Your team right now is on is on in essence on life support from a momentum from a momentum standpoint. You have to kick the field goal. It's not even a question. You kick the field goal. You tie the game. You say to them, "Hey, it's zero zero. We're good. It's zero zero. You go for it. They go down, score a touchdown. Now you're down by ten points. So in essence, there was a ten point swing from that standpoint." 
So I, I think, again, Campbell, this is only his third year coaching. Uh, that had that has to be a conversation in the offseason from the organization to him. That has to be. We have to have that conversation. Because it has to be a part. You can't. It can't be a situation where you're going to just, this is going to be who you are because you can get away with that in the regular season against some inferior teams. You can't get away with that in the playoffs, especially on the road, especially against a team that uh, that has, not probably, definitely has more talent. Can't do it. Can't do it in playoff games. You're going to get, you're going to get beat all the time in playoff games. And again, kicking the field goal at that point does not mean you're lacking aggression. It just means your understanding at, this when we've given up a twenty a seventeen point lead, they've scored uh, twenty straight points. We need these points. Points in the playoffs playoffs matter. Field goals in the playoffs matter. They do. They're still points. I know we all you want to score a touchdown on all the red, on, your, on all your red zone drives. Who doesn't? But the points still matter. And to miss out on points, to go down there to the red zone and not score. Or to get on somebody's side of the uh, field on inside the thirty and not score—that is demoralizing to to a football team. Period. It's demoralizing. So Campbell, hopefully, if you're a Detroit fan, Campbell learns from this, and he, you know, stays aggressive. But again, there's a fine line between aggressive and stupid. It is. It's a very fine line, especially as a professional football coach. Not kicking the field goal at that twenty, at down 27-24 was stupid. It was. It's all, I, I can't put it any other, any other way. And again, that is a devastating loss for Detroit because, listen, they hadn't been there since 1991, right? You're talking 40, uh, 33 years, excuse me, not 43 years, 33 years, or excuse me, 30, 32 years that they hadn't been in a conference championship game. Again, everything was there for them. The NFC is weak. This was not a vintage, like just like, like I said, it wasn't a vintage Kansas City team. This, this, not, this wasn't a great San Francisco team. I still believe that San Francisco was, uh, that this is the weakest of all their, of, of, of all their recent, uh, recent teams that have made to the conference championship. Under Kyle Shanahan, that defense is not. You can I mean, it, that defense was their defense right now is playing is playing poorly. Defense defense is not very good right now. You can move the ball in the defense. Green Bay left points on the board against them. Detroit left points on the board against them and put up thirty one. Again, I was very confident about both of these picks. I might, I probably was even more confident about Detroit, believe it or not, than I even was about Kansas City. I had no, I, I was so down on San Francisco, uh, coming off that performance against Green Bay and coming off the way they had been playing down the stretch. Now, in terms of Brock Purdy, again, Brock Purdy has been a very polar, polarizing quarterback over the course, especially over the last month, um, month or so, when you know when he was in the MVP conversation and. You know, the conversation about how much talent he has versus the other quarterbacks, so on and so on. You got to shut up about Brock Purdy for at least two weeks because when plays had to be made in the Green Bay game, he took the te- took his team down the field, scored the game winning touchdown, got got the win in the playoffs. Didn't play well, but played well when he had to. 
This game, second half, they scored 27 points. They score uh, on every possession in the second half. Period. They score on every possession in the second half. You can't. You gotta give him credit. Again, statistically, he was okay, but that it was be. You gotta look beyond this, the numbers. You gotta look beyond the numbers. He led his team to 34 points, 27 in the second half. That they came back from a 27. Think about this. They came back from a 24-7 deficit. Their defense forced a turnover that changed the game. I, I give you that. But for the most part, their defense did not play well in that game. Detroit had over 400 yards of offense in that game. He scored 31 points. That wasn't about that, – that, that, that game was not about San Francisco's defense whatsoever. It wasn't. So it wasn't like he had to play – he had to make plays. He had to play well for them to win that game. They didn't win in spite of him. Because according to y'all, you know, according to a lot of y'all, basically all he had to do was suit up for the better part of, you know, 20 weeks and, you know, they would be in a, in, in a Super Bowl and, you know, whether or not he's, whether or not, you know, he whether or not he played or not. Like, it didn't matter who was under center, under center, according to a lot of y'all out here with, uh, you know, just destroying him. And again, I'm not sitting up here, not, I've been consistent about Brock Purdy. Not sitting up here and saying that this dude is a next level, like putting them in the class of forget about Mahomes, but even Josh Allen's the even I don't think he's even as good as CJ Stroud to be honest with you. I take CJ Stroud over, over him, but we can't pretend like this like you know like this dude is a me is a average quarterback or a system quarterback. Nah, I like he's better than that. Sorry, he is. Now, will he has the acid test in two weeks? We'll see what happens. But he played what played great in that second half and helped spark that win. And they they don't win that game in the second half without him. Period. Period. Point blank. So y'all gotta get off. Y'all gotta get off Brock Purdy for like I said for like at least two weeks. For at least two weeks. We'll shift gears a bit um, as we you know. With football coming close to an end, you'll you know we you will notice that we will shift more into the NBA. Um, if you haven't been watching the NBA, shame on you. Uh, it's been a lot of great basketball. It's going. This this has been a great year for the NBA on the court. A great, not a good year, a great year with where the game is at right now. Um, in the last week, we had Joel Embiid scoring seventy. Yeah, Luca scoring 73, 73 points. Um Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker with with sixty-two point performances. A lot of some again, there are always gonna be some criticism when we start seeing numbers like this. And you know, heard some takes that, you know, no defense is being played. It's not good for the game. Here's the bottom line about the scoring. Number one. Three of these dudes, two of these dudes are transcendent talents. Like Joel Embiid is a all is a Hall of Fame all time great talent. I'm not saying he's an all time great player. He got get he has to get past the second round. But as far as talent goes, he is one of the most talented players, one of the most talented big men ever from a talent standpoint. Luca is a transcendent generational talent. Devin Booker is the best two guard in basketball and a guy who will end up in the Hall of Fame someday. Carl Anthony Towns is going to end up. Looking, looking at his numbers, the trajectory he's on, he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame someday. So these are four, four all-NBA, all-star caliber players. 
Now, if we're, if we're talking about six men putting up 70 points, then I, we can reassess uh, what's going on. But these are not these are these are star to superstar players. Like these these are top players putting up these points. Three again, three of them are like they're arguably their team's best player. I mean, I can make a case that Booker is Phoenix's best player. Dallas and Philadelphia is no question, and you know Towns is Minnesota's second best player uh, behind, uh, of course, uh, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. And I'll pose a question on here. Is this the NBA's greatest era? Era should put a question mark, but you know my apologies. Now, again, this is not me being um, prisoner of the moment. I'm not saying that this is this is the greatest era in NBA history. I'm just posing the question, um, and we have to be fair. We like you have to be just realistic about the evolution of the game. Again, long as long as these players were staying, long as these guys are playing games, I'm fine with the NBA. My biggest problem with the NBA is when, when you have guys missing a ton of games, and Embiid missed another Denver game at Denver again this year, which I was annoyed by. But you know that's almost become a, a regular annual tradition. But for the most part, the guys in the, this year are playing, are playing, are playing in a lot of games, are playing in the games. Um, as far as comparing the eras, this era is right there with any era that we've ever seen. And I'm gonna tell you why. Number one, from a skill standpoint, there are players at seven feet and up who are doing things that we haven't never seen before. Think about Giannis. Think about Embiid. Think about Wembyama coming into the league and what he's doing. You know, think about what the skill set of, of what these players of what these players bring to the table right now, and what they can do. People complain about the defense. It's not the it's not that the defense is bad. It's that the offense is is so superior that defensively you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance to guard. Like great offense beats great defense, especially in the regular season. And by the way, we can't have it both ways complaining about too many points because you are looking for something as a fan to keep you engaged for the marathon that is the NBA season that goes from October to June and before the playoffs, October to April. So what is going to keep you engaged? 120 to 135 to 120 or 81 to 75? Because I remember a time, and it wasn't long ago, long ago, not that long ago as you think it was. We're talking in the mid two thousands, where some of these games were rock fights. Some of these games in the playoff games, you had literally 81, 75 games in the playoffs. You have seventy eight, seventy five games in the playoffs. I watched Boston play Cleveland when LeBron was, and I'm not talking about. I'm talking about LeBron's first in Cleveland. Go back and watch some of those playoff games. In 2007, 2006-ish. Those games were hard to watch. And forget about the early 2000s with 03, 04 with the Pistons and that, you know, that, some of those games, you know, were played in the 60s. You go back and watch those, that Pistons, go back and watch that Pistons, not the entire series, but snippets, or go back and look at some of the scores in that Pistons-Pacers uh, 
playoff series in 2004 and 2005. Those some of those games were played in the 60s. I'm not and I'm not joking. I'm I'm, I'm dead ass. The 60s. It would be a half for the for the, like there's you see higher scores in a half in some of these games versus uh that uh way back when. And they like the NBA had of course loosen up the rules with freedom of movement. And that game was not good to watch. Now, I still lean towards the best era of basketball being the 80s, early 90s, when you had Magic Bird going into the going into Michael Jordan and, and, and Akeem Olajuwon. That 80 to 93 era. From like 80 to 93, 80 to say 95, 95-ish. Had a perfect storm of athleticism and skill. Remember, especially in the 80s, this is before guys were coming out um, after one year or two years or even coming out of high school frequently. So guys would stay in college. So they came in ready to play with a high level, uh, a high level of basketball intelligence, just knowing how to play basketball. The reason why Jordan came in averaging 28 points a game, it wasn't just because he was great. It was because he understood fundamental. He spent three years at North Carolina under Dean Smith. So guys coming into the league, they were ready to play immediately for the most part. That, to me, was the best era because, again, the skill combined with the basketball intelligence and and the athleticism, athleticism as well. They're, don't don't let anybody from this era tell you that those guys were not didn't were not great athletes playing back in the eighties, nine early nineties. Because that's not true. It's just so much. It's just the fact that they they didn't you know they knew they knew how to do other things other than dunk, run, and jump. Like they they had they were they had a skill set as far as in terms of fundamentals. They were fundamentally sound. More so, and more so because they had more experience coming out of college and what have you. They were coming in at 21, 22 instead of 18, 19. It's a, it's a big difference. They came in as men. A lot of these guys coming in, they're coming in as boys in terms of physically and mentally, for that matter. But again, this this era is very close. I mean, Kevin Durant, um, look at guys, you know, Un, seven footer unguardable put the ball in for shoot the ball like it what you're watching right now is you're watching some of the best basketball that that's ever been played in the nba period point blank and you gotta give guys like lebron kevin durant and steph curry credit these guys are all these guys are deep into their careers 35 and up 34 and up lebron's 39 they're three probably three of the top 10 12 players in the league at their ages. That wasn't happening uh, 30 or 40 years ago, for the most part. So you got to give them credit for taking care of their bodies and from that standpoint and, and having that type of longevity. But again, you don't want to go back to rock fights in terms of NBA basketball. You don't, trust me. It wasn't just great defense. No, it was some bad offense, a lack of shooting, along with too many, along with too many young players coming in not ready to play basketball. Chiefs versus Patriots dynasties, of course, the, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs have, without question, taken the mantle as the preeminent 
dynasty, the preeminent franchise in the NFL is not in question. It's not without goes without saying. Uh, no, no other team, no other franchise is close. Uh, they are set up for years to come. Uh, with Patrick Mahomes only being 28, Andy Reid showing no signs of slowing down and and wanting uh, thinking about retirement. I think Andy Reid wants that record for once Don, Don Shula's record. He's close. You know, everybody talks about Belichick. Well, Andy Reid's not that far away either. He's about four, four and a half seasons away from from really challenging for that record. Maybe five seasons. So uh, I don't trust me. Don't think Andy Reid. <laughs> doesn't have that in the back of his head, especially if no one is, is going to hire Bill Belichick, which is a whole nother story. But, you know, I t- listen, I t- listen quickly, <laughs> quickly on that. What did I tell you about that? Told you Belichick will go to the team that gives him absolute power. No one, I, and I believe, I thought there would be one dummy, but so far, you know, kudos to the NFL teams. No one has been dumb enough to give him absolute power, as they should not. They absolutely should not give him absolute power. So I stand to that. If no one gives him absolute power, he we may have saw him coach his last game in last game uh, ever uh, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, period, uh, against the Jets. So that, that that's all it is to it. Like, you know, no one, Belichick still wants to run the show, still wants to be the head coach, general manager, personnel, all that. He's still, that's still in his head. Uh, as far as comparing these two uh, dynasties, very similar. Um, when you look at how they, again, it starts at the top, uh, great organizations with the ownership, but, you know, you have legendary coaches, iconic coaches, and that that quarterback combination, quarterback-coach combination that, is un, that, that have been, has basically been unstoppable. Andy Reid being one of the best offensive minds of his generation, uh, the best offensive minds of his generation, versus Bill Belichick being one of the great minds, defensive minds of all time. Um, and, you know, Brady, Mahomes, uh, they are guys who understand the game. And this is not about the physical. Mahomes probably has more physical talent than Brady. But Brady, of course, has the mental as long as Mahomes does, has that as well. But Brady, of course, you know, both of them, these guys being just uber, ultra-competitive players who demand perfection out of every, everybody. Demand perfection out of everybody and hold everybody, raise the level of all their players, of all their players around them, and don't need superior talent to win football games around them. Don't need superior talent, on, especially on the opposite end. Brady, uh, Mahomes is going to back-to-back Super Bowls losing a Hall of Fame wide receiver in Tyreek Hill, who is still playing, who is playing the best football of his career with the with the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill was challenging for the most part of the season. People thought Tyreek Hill could have a chance, had an outside chance at 2,000 yards. So you were playing, and Travis Kelsey did not play well this season. He was a beast in the conference championship game, but did not, for the most part of the season, did not play particularly well, was under 1,000 yards for the first time in almost a decade. But these guys raise the level of players around them, period, point blank, in terms of Brady and Mahomes. Um, Kansas City goes six straight division titles, six straight conference championship appearances, of course, seeking back-to-back titles, uh, back-to-back titles in the third Super Bowl, Super Bowl championship in five years versus New England, 
which from 01 to 2019 won 11 straight division titles, went to eight straight conference championships, which is a record that Kansas City has a very good chance of either tying or and or eclipsing. Here's the thing that Kansas City has to go going for them. New England from 04 to 2014 went 10, they went 10 years without a Super Bowl. From excuse me, from 04 to 2013. They won a Super Bowl in 2014 season. So they go 10 years without winning a Super Bowl. I don't see any way if Mahomes is healthy that Kansas City goes 10 years without a Super Bowl. Now, if we're talking about legitimately challenging for the six championships that that New England won, they need to win this one. This would be what three and six years. This would be what three and five years and back to back. Yeah, you realistic realistically want to challenge for New England's supremacy in terms of Super Bowls. Uh, you have like and Mahomes, you know, going after Brady, he has to win it this year to have any chance of, of getting seven Super Bowls. And it's still an outside chance at that, but he wins it this year. We're talking three we're talking three championships, three Super Bowls in what in five years, and three Super Bowls before the age of thirty at the age of twenty eight. You have three Super Bowls at the age of twenty eight. So it's on the table. Is where I question on the table. And again, they are set up for years to come because they, you know, have managed the salary cap extremely well and they know how to draft and develop talent. And they can, and like New England, they are not afraid of morphing into something else. Into like, they are not afraid of, of, of reinventing themselves. They don't get stuck in just, hey, this is the only way we're going to play. Or we have this certain style of play. No, no, no. Can't do that, especially in the NFL, especially in today's NFL. Can't do that. So these are very more similar more similar dynasties than you think they are, than you think. When you go back and when you really go back and look at them, they both have had superstar wide receivers and Randy Moss and Tyreek Hill. Uh the difference is uh they can't say won a championship with Tyreek Hill. Uh New England uh didn't with Moss. Hall of Fame, all world tight ends, probably to all, all intents and purposes, the two greatest tight ends of all time in Gronkowski and Kelsey, Kelsey, Gronkowski, uh, Kelsey and Gronkowski, wherever order you want to put them in. Kelsey has broken Jerry Rice's record for touchdowns and receiving yards in a postseason. And that takes him to another level, along with the what, the nine straight thousand yard seasons. Like, I mean, Shannon Sharp believes that he's the GOAT right now. And, you know, his, his postseason, you know, Accomplishments is hard to argue. To be frank, to be frank with you, frankly honest with you, and now you're seeing Kansas City become this defensive stalwart. Again, this defense is not going anywhere anytime soon. I can see them being a top five, top ten defense for the next you know three or four or five years because of how much young talent they have on that defense. But again, Andy Reid is coming for Bill Belichick and Don Shula in terms of those those championships. I, I he's just. He's humble, but he's, he is super. He is super competitive. He wants to, he wants those rings. Trust me. Heard all the talk back in Philadelphia, the clock management issues, all that stuff has been cleaned up. Like Andy Reid is the top coach in the NFL right now, and has been right now for the for the better part of the last three or four years. 
he is the guy right now in the NFL. Like everybody is chasing him, just like quarterbacks around the league are chasing uh, Patrick Mahomes. And I don't see Spagnola going anywhere anytime soon. Like, I don't think Spagnola will more like probably won't get another head coaching job. I don't see that probably happening. I haven't heard his name mentioned amongst the head coaching uh, spots. Maybe you know, maybe if they, maybe next year if they have another big season defensively, he'll get some uh, some mention if he's interested. But I, you know, you could see I could see Spagnola staying with Andy Reid forever how long, just collecting championships. I could see that. Who won the week? Uh, Brock Purdy. Like, it's not, to me, this was pretty easy. Um, considering how much criticism he had been receiving. Again, his team's down 24-7 at halftime. They scored 27 points in the second half. He leads all, all their drives. I know one of them was created by a short field with a fumble, but again, they scored. And they weren't, they, for the most part, they were scoring touchdowns. He had some big runs on his, by, he had some big runs as well. Uh, five carries of 48 yards. And look, he got he did his job. Guys team to the Super Bowl. We'll see what happens in the Super Bowl. He's going to get face the acid test in terms of facing a, a all-time great in Patrick Mahomes. And certainly you'd rather have Mahomes than Purdy. That's, you know, of course, it's a mismatch on paper. But he was able to, uh, in the biggest moments when his team, when San Francisco in the past couple weeks has needed him to play well, he was able to make the plays. Period. Not a game manager, not a system quarterback, a guy who played like a legitimate franchise-level quarterback. And I want to say probably made himself hmm, probably made himself $100 million. I Like, unless he just stinks it up in, 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 in the Super Bowl, which is possible. It's definitely possible. But if he plays decently and they lose a close game, I can't see it. Like, you have to pay him. <laughs> You're going to have to pay him if you're San Francisco. Forget about if he wins. We all know that if he wins, even if he doesn't get the MVP, which he probably will. But even if they lose a close game and he plays relatively well, if he's not, if he's not the reason why they don't lose, if, like, if their defense stinks up the joint like they have been in the playoffs, uh, I don't see a situation where he will not get paid like I, I just don't see it. I I think that I think that this game, conference championship game, clinched the fact that he's going to be probably their long term quarterback, and they're going to, have to pay him a shitload of money. So with that being said, said he definitely won the week. I'm not going to give too much on Super Bowl. Um, I'll save that for next week's program. Uh, of course, this is the second time in. You know, it's like a full circle Super Bowl for both of these franchises. Um, they met in the 2019 season. So four years ago, 2019 season, Kansas City's first Super Bowl win uh, since, you know, going back to the Lynn Dawson days. Um, Mahomes and Andy Reid's first Super Bowl. It was a game, of course, that, you know, San Francisco could have easily won. They had a double-digit lead uh, going to the, what, the fourth quarter. And a lot again, San Francisco fans will never forgive Jimmy Garofalo because they thought that he probably was the difference between them winning and losing with his performance in that game. Mahomes was not great in that game, by the way. But again, he made the big plays when he had to. A lot of people didn't want did a lot of people did not want, thought think that he should have been MVP of the Super MVP of that game. Um so 
But again, it's hard. You you have to almost have like a Ben Roethlisberger type performance not to get the MVP of the Super Bowl. Like it's it's very hard for a quarterback not to get to the MVP of the Super Bowl. So this is full circle. Uh, again, I neither one of these teams are as good anywhere close to what they were uh, in that 2019 season, especially San Francisco. Now, Kansas City again, Mahomes is better from from his mind in terms of like where he's at mentally and the fact that he knows how to win. So, and Kansas City's defense is better. So, Kansas City going into that game is better off, even though that they're an underdog by two and a half, which is basically a pick them. I again, I don't see how like I, I don't see how you have Kansas City an underdog. To be honest with you, I think at best it should be a pick them pick. Like they 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 should not be an underdog in this game. Period. Not with, not with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I'm sorry, and Kyle. I have respect for Kyle Shanahan, but he's not. He's no Andy Reid. We know the quarterback mismatch, and we know how well. Like if you're looking at the defense, Kansas City's defense by far is, is the better defense in terms of how they're playing. Like, that's not even close. So they have the quarterback advantage, the coaching advantage, and the defense advantage, and they're still not favored. So, I don't, again, and if you, I don't, I don't see how Kansas City is not favored in this game. I don't, I don't understand it. I really don't. Considering how tough the AFC was comparison, in comparison to the AMC, Kansas City went through Miami, Buffalo, at Buffalo, and at Baltimore. Think about that for a second. Buffalo was playing some of the best football at the end of the season. Baltimore was the best team probably in football for the most part, for the majority of the season, especially the latter part. And Miami uh, was a double-digit winning team. And that, that was their first-round game. So I, I don't understand how my – why, I, again, maybe – I mean, you know, from the standpoint of it's going to get some better, you know, people betting. that line, I expect that line is two and a half now. It will drop to about one at one one and a half before the game starts. I promise you, that line is going to drop. And money's going to go towards Kansas City. I, I promise you. But I'll give my overall thoughts and my, you know, deep dive that game next come next week. Real thoughts, and then I'll let you go. Um, the rap battle that, did we even ask for this? Uh, did we even ask for Beck the Stallion versus Nicki Minaj? I didn't, I, I don't remember asking for this. I don't. I don't. This is not, this is not going to make, trust me, it's not going to make anybody forget about Nas versus Jay-Z. It won't. Uh, Nikki Megan Stallion comes out with his on Friday. Eviscerates everybody, including Nicki Minaj, Drake, Parson Fontaine, uh, Tory Lanez, amongst others. And Nikki responds with this just off the hinge. Just it, this is just one one of the worst responses I've ever seen in terms of like in any rap battle. She goes on Twitter and the social media and just it just would not just kept talking and blah it was just blah 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 this all basically for basically the better part of. 48 hours talks about Meg's dead mother talks about just everything threatens to come out with a number of songs you and then you hear the Bigfoot song called Bigfoot which is clearly you know we we know it's clearly geared geared towards Megan 
And something happens that I've never seen in any rap battle in my whole entire life that I've never seen or even heard of. Even rap battles that I wasn't even around for uh, or didn't even, or wasn't even cognizant of following rap because I was too young. Like, she comes out with the song, but the song, first of the song is horrible. It's, hard, it's poorly produced. It was rushed. But everything she said on Twitter and social media, that was a song. Like, that was, like I've never seen a rapper give, in essence, a transcript of what they're going to say and then release the, and then release the, the, uh, the track, the diss track. I've ne- I literally never, I've never seen that in my life. I've never, ever, ever seen that. Please, anybody seen, has anybody seen or heard that? Please tell me uh, who, who did this. Or who's, please tell me who, if you ever have seen or heard this, because I've never seen any shit like that in my life. Anyway, it was horrible. It was rushed. It was it was just like, yo, Nikki, just, just go sit down somewhere, please. And you would think, so Meg Thee Stallion is 28, right? Nikki is 41. Meg goes back to the lab, and I'm not listen. I'm not making hiss out to be Ether or Takeover or The Bridge Is Over by KRS One. It's like it's not a classic. You know, it's okay. You know, it's decent, but it's not. Like, I mean, I mean, again, I'm not a Meg Thee Stallion fan, fan. Like I'm not not a fan of either one of these either one of these rappers. To be honest with you, but um, Megan clearly took her time. And you know, this if you're gonna come out, come at somebody, this is how you come at this is how you come at somebody. Nicki Minaj at 41 was kind of like the peasant, the petulant child, in a sense that it was a bunch of whining and a bunch of complaining and a bunch of just it was, just it was a bunch of talking. It was like somebody saying, I would equate it to somebody, you know, getting punched in the face or saying, or not so much, not so much getting punched in the face, but saying, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to just do it already. And now she released the song. The song was trash. The song was horrible. If you think Jay-Z's Super Ugly was bad, this was worse. Remember Jay-Z's Super Ugly after Nas destroyed him on Ether? He came out with Super Ugly. This was worse. This was way, this, this makes that look like a classic. This is one of the worst comeback songs I've ever seen in hip hop history. It literally is that bad. It's up there. It's, it's top bottom five, top five horrible comeback songs off a of, uh, off a of rap battle. One of the worst retorts that you will ever hear. Again, it was just uh, the production, everything, and then Nikki on top of it. Nikki's talking for like the last minute. She was talking. She, she was talking for the last minute of the song, which made it even that much worse. And now threatens to come out with five. That she has five other songs lined up if Megan, you know, breathes the wrong way. What have you? This the thing. This battle just needs to end, like here now. Like I'm not. I'm not even here. For it. I'm not. It's not. It's not even entertaining. That's how bad the music is. And when the music is not good. It's like again, this was it's like why do I have to hear this? We didn't need this. Honestly, we did not need this battle at all. This is that we didn't ask. No one asked for this. No one. So I'm sure unfortunately this won't be the last of of this. I hope it is, but you know, 
It will continue. It certainly, I think it without question will continue. Uh, that's going to wrap it up in this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Again, subscribe, like, comment. You can even dislike. Listen, your opinion is your opinion. I respect it regardless. If you don't like it, tell me why you don't like it. That's all. But uh, I'm going to put the clip from 2022. Uh, myself and Robert sat t- discussing the Tyreek Hill trade from Kansas City and Miami. So um, I will put that at the end of the podcast. Have a great rest of your evening. So long.